amidst all this chaos, all the negativity, all the anxiety that lives in our society today across the globe, we believe that our mission is needed way more than ever before. And that commitment to become the premier source and destination for people. When something happens, we want to be there where people can trust that this is going to be unbiased information, where I can make my own opinion as opposed to leaning your opinion based on what we believe. So that's what Gannett is. My definition of growth is three flywheels that are constantly running, is growing the brand, growing your user base, and growing the user value. If marketeers can play their part in accelerating all those three flywheels, because if you just focus on retention and acquisition and not growing the brand, you're going to saturate your demand. It's through your brand, through your purpose, through your mission, through that mid-funnel conversation, dialogue. That's how you expand your talent. That's how you soften the ground. This episode was recorded when Mayur was the Chief Marketing and Strategy Officer at Gannett. He has since moved on to Kraken Digital Asset Exchange as their Chief Marketing Officer. Welcome to Dreams with Deadlines, a podcast about closing the strategy execution gap and promoting outcome-driven cultures. I'm your host, Jenny Harold, VP of Product Evangelism at GTM Hub. Our mission is to prevent organizational hypocrisy. And inspired by the proven objectives and key results methodology, GTM Hub is the leading platform for strategy execution management for mission-driven organizations. Check us out at gtmhub.com to learn more. The Netflix of nonfiction. That's the brilliant tagline my guest on this episode of Dreams with Deadlines came up with while guiding Gannett, a giant legacy media company, through a complex and exciting series of transformations. Shifting to a subscriber-driven model, Gannett has broadened its platform with the help of Mayor, a seasoned chief marketing officer with a deep base of knowledge around what it takes to implement North Star OKRs and the teams to execute on them. A few of the things we talked about. Mayor's personal evolution from engineer to marketer and growth strategist. What it looks like to marshal a major shift in alignment within a traditional news organization. How Mayor was tasked with expanding Gannett's platform and reach through a customer-obsessed focus on experience, engagement, and retention. The various teams, or pods, that worked cross-functionally to execute on a broad range of OKRs while never losing sight of the organization's foundational North Stars. And finally, the critical role that marketing has to play in aligning teams that are laser-focused on building a brand that is not only beloved, but positioned for increased market share and growth. Let's jump in. All right, so I am really excited today because this is a, a switch up in terms of who I'm talking to. Today we have Mayer Gupta. He is the CMO. Actually, I guess you're the chief of marketing and strategy over at Gannett. Is that right? On paper, yes. On paper, yes. <laughs> Thanks for being on the show. Actually, we'll start with that. Can you give us a brief tour? I mean, you came from tech. And then when I saw that you transitioned from the Spotify and Freshly and all of that to Gannett, this 100-year legacy organization in media, where everyone's like, what's going to happen with that? <laughs> Can you tell us a bit about your journey and like, why did you make this decision? What was the ideas behind that? Yes, yes, absolutely. Well, first of all, Jenny, thanks for having me over. And, and I'm sure there'll be a lot more greater and more incredible marketers who are going to be here because marketing is dramatically shifting at that intersection of marketing, product, engineering, science. I'm glad to be here and thank you for the opportunity. But to answer your question, I guess in two ways, one, a quick synopsis of my coincidental or accidental journey, which I feel very grateful for and very grateful to be here at Gannett. But I've been here now almost two years and we'll talk about the transformation we are going through spent, I actually sat, sat on the board of Gannett and that is how I had the exposure to what was happening and the tremendous opportunity we felt we have within mm -hmm. the organization and are in context to our purpose and mission to build local communities where, you know, people and businesses thrive. And there has not been a more attuned time to stand up for 
authentic, unbiased journalism and content at large to influence and shape culture and society. So very excited about that, but promise to come back. Like you said, I've been at rather tech-led growth companies, freshly as a CMO there, VP of growth at Spotify, learned a lot, spent three years, did spend a few years at CPG and Kimberly Clark, but even there, very fortunate to have been sitting in the marketing that was a change agency internally mm-hmm. for a 150-year-old company that was figuring out the disruption and the evolution from digital marketing to marketing in the digital world and evolving from pure retail and multi-channel players to e-commerce and direct-to-consumer. It was a disruptive function within an incredibly legacy brand. And started my career as an engineer, was a mechanical engineer in school, did my major in computer science. I was all over the place, to be honest. Growing up as a kid in India, I had no clue. So started as a developer, was a Java JDV developer, wrote some C++ for some time, became a DBA for a few months, became a Unix administrator, and then a tech Java architect. And then a big pivot for me really came in the mid-2000s when Sapien, where I worked for 12 years, we acquired an ad tech product called PGI in Miami. Mm -hmm. And one of my mentors gave me an opportunity to be a product lead there. So I evolved from building pure technology to building products for marketing and advertising. And that that was the beginning of my evolution, taking baby steps, incremental steps, over the years, ran a production studio with a partner of mine in Miami, then did marketing tech strategy for Fortune 100s. And thankfully, marketing itself, especially in the last 15 years, has dramatically evolved at the intersection of marketing, tech, science, growth. So an engineer can actually get paid to be a marketeer or pretend to be a marketeer. They sure can. I think we could really talk shop about transitions because Tech seems to be that way with people, I think, where you start one place and then even two to four years later, like, how did I get to this other place? And then 10, 15 years later, how did I get here? (laughs) So that resonates, I think, with me and probably a lot of people who've done this. So since we're going to be talking about marketing specifically, I thought it was interesting. I was listening to something you had said previously. I just want to recapture some of that thinking where you said you see that many leaders outside of marketing still view marketing as a cost liner. It's a line item, right? Where the team is building campaigns, they are creating a lot of collateral and not necessarily this center or agent of growth, which is what we just discussed a bit in your history. How do you think marketers can break out of that stereotype? What should we be doing? Yes, I think that's a reality. And in fact, it's not a pseudo reality. And there's a reason for that belief system that exists in other functions about Mm -hmm. marketing. Because to be honest, I think about marketing four eras. The largest era when perhaps you weren't even born, but I was still in my very early days and years in life in India, the 1970s to the 2000s. Marketing was a function which was all about the Midas touch and consumers didn't have choice. We were gullible. We only believe what we saw on broadcast on television. We went to the shelf and bought it and there was no attribution. It didn't matter because half of what you did perhaps worked and depending on how much you spent and whoever had the most witty and creative ads during Super Bowl was the talk of the town for the longest time. And then came the second era in the 2000s with the evolution of ad tech and marketing tech and data tech, more attribution, more accountability, addressability and measurability within marketing. And then we all were running around with our like chickens with the head cut off and digital marketing became a thing. Then we all realized, hey, it's not digital marketing. The world has changed. It is marketing and running a business in a digital world for a consumer that is now living a natively digital life. And then came 07 and 2008 when Facebook and iOS and a lot of VC funding that pushed marketing to the other extreme from being a black box in the 1970s to in the following 30 years to a completely measurable, rather soulless growth machine, Mm. all about performance, FOMO, click-throughs, CACs, and we lost the soul. And then came the fourth era during COVID, where we all got punched in our faces, where COVID made us realize that marketing always had to be about the soul, about the purpose, but also about growth, also about tangible impact to the business. And it made us realize 
that today's consumer doesn't just care about the value of what they get, the what. They care just as much about the why, your purpose, and why you exist, and why you deliver what you deliver. They want to see purpose driving profitability. They want to see science inspiring storytelling. They want to see brand and performance coming together. But all of that is all new. There is no other function in an organization that has disrupted so much in the last 15 years. Hence, it is very obvious that many of those leaders don't still understand the scope of marketing and what success looks like for marketing. That's why I feel that to answer your question very simply, the onus of that, the responsibility to define more clearly the definition of success for marketing and the different elements and bringing more transparency, accountability through OKRs, hence this podcast and more lies with the marketeers, with marketing, because it's been a black box as much externally as internally. And that has to change. Goodness, I couldn't agree more in particular because I have made that similar transition from product into marketing now. We had mentioned you had spent time in the tech scene. You had previously worked in kind of legacy organizations like Kimberly Clark, and now you're at Gannett. What have you learned on top of OKRs about applying what is happening on the technology front into an organization like Gannett? Like you had mentioned driving strategy forward through a methodology like OKRs is one way. And then you cited some other things like just measurability and accountability. And we are able to do that with our tech stacks, the marketing tech stacks. But if you could provide some like, like lift the veil for a lot of us where you're like, this is the stuff, Jenny, that we're pushing into Gannett from what I've gathered and it's working or not. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. Before I talk specifically about our evolution at Gannett, one of my takeaways, Jenny, has been having worked in multiple verticals and different scales and sizes is that the underlying challenges for most of the businesses, regardless of the vertical or scale, comes down to the same fundamentals, which is the only moat any business has is its ability to move faster than the competition. Everything else is a commodity. Okay. So you need to build the velocity of decision-making, whether you are a startup in zero to one stage, a series A and et cetera, or you are a multi-billion dollar legacy business. You have to move faster than everybody else around you to catch up with the consumer and the shift in consumer behavior, which is rapidly changing. I mean, look- They how are long- fickle. They are fickle. Look at when did iPhone come? When was Facebook started? It's been not even a decade and a half. That's and right. Look- where we sit today. Now we're talking about metaverses in mm-hmm. how long, and these things will become table stakes, not in the next five years, six months chunks. That's the pace of evolution. And the only way you respond, whether you're a startup, 50 people, or you're a 5,000 or 15,000 people company, that has to be the mindset, which means underneath to enable that, you have to create a culture where people see, feel safe amidst chaos where they enjoy thriving in chaos, but that can only happen when there's a culture of transparency, when there's a culture that incentivizes risk-taking, where there is respect, where there's a diversity of opinion and you feel you are heard. It goes hand in hand. That speed generates chaos, but the only way you thrive in chaos is when you create a culture that is safe and not anxious. And the only way you as a leader, whether again a growth stage startup or a big organization, you as a leader, as an individual, can drive change and enjoy the process is through internal relationships. It's just as much impetus and focus we have with building relationships and trust with the external customer. How much focus do we have in building that relationship internally, especially within marketing, which oh, yeah. again is one function that has the most questions against it. So what kind of relationship and trust marketing builds with finance, with product, with engineering, with sales, if you happen to have marketing and sales separated. But that ultimately is the epitome of what drives success. Now, applying that at Gannett, we are challenging ourselves to get better and optimize every single day and all those fronts. But in terms of our transition and evolution as an organization, we are very aware that we are evolving on two fronts. We are evolving our business 
from a legacy print business, which is where for hundreds of years, that's how we consume content, especially within journalism, even otherwise, to a natively digital business. And then the other axis is from an advertising-led business model, where media businesses have been obsessed with user value, with eyeballs and impressions. And we're not the only ones. Look at Disney, look at HBO Max, not just this category, but there are so many content organizations today that were more AKA B2B advertising business model for the most part, shifting that advertising business model to now becoming subscriber led and subscription led, where you no longer are obsessed with eyeballs and impressions, but you are truly obsessed with customer value and retention. And your core value is no longer that impression. The core value is your content. So we are very excited about the proliferation of our content landscape. We are still centers around journalism, but no longer limited to it. So last year we yeah. launched sports, we launched gaming. We are investing more and more in AR and VR, especially as we know everything else that's happening with Meta and so on. So a lot happening, but there is no question. We know we've got a lot of runway to cover and we need to generate tremendous more velocity of decision-making. Two notes on that. First, I remember I had a conversation with a leader, my mentor, where we were going to get acquired by Microsoft. And he looked at all of his senior staff and he was like, why do you think I'm here? And I remember all of us looked at him and were like, you're the GM. Why are you even asking us why you're here? You do things. What? What kind of question is that? We all came up with these ideas. You're like, you make sure that we get funded. You make sure that we're staying on top of our KPIs. You make sure that we're shipping on time. All this stuff. He's, yeah, that's everybody. But why do you think they picked me? And I remember he responded with, because the way that I lead is to make sure that everyone is calm and optimistic. And I remember thinking after we walked away from that conversation, to your point, the acceleration of change, the acceleration of consumer demand, the appetite, like this obsession with their behavior and trying to understand them so we can deliver that value. It's going to feel really manic inside. And I think to your point, like being able to ensure that we can stay calm amidst the chaos and be optimistic about our future because we're doing things that are delivering value that people actually care. That should make us feel good. And it baselines us to be able to do exactly this stuff, the transitions that you're talking about. So second thing, this content subscription model, can you talk a bit more about what that is? Because for every business, it's going to be different. I feel like that has started to grow so much where I remember you could buy single beauty products at the store and then they started doing subscription boxes around this. And there used to be a time I was in fourth grade. My teacher asked us to write what we thought the future would be like, pick a subject, write your thesis, and then write what you believed would happen. I wrote one day I would be able to buy Disney by itself and that cable would be would not exist. And wow. this fourth grade teacher responded with, that's never going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm happy to say that today Disney Plus is a thing. I feel validated in my idea. But that's a subscription. All of these things that we thought, you can get subscriptions for toothpaste. What does this mean for Gannett? What do you want them to subscribe to? You, you mentioned content and content types. But can you speak a bit into like your vision and what what you are catalyzing your organization and Gannett all up around. What does that look like for people who used to know you as USA Today? Yes. Right? Yes. And um, USA Today is still there and humming and tens of millions of people come every month to consume that content. So great question. But before I answer that, Jenny, I would love to know what is your next prediction because I want to get ahead of that <laughs> and, and put some bets uh, because I don't know how many four-year-olds would have predicted that Disney would transition to owning their own content and distributing it. And boy, is that a hockey stick. But I would love to pick your brain on wh what else you're seeing so I can put the bets. But first of all, everything that we're doing ultimately ladders up to this question we challenged ourselves to answer a couple of years back. Why do we exist? Exactly. That is, that is still going to be about our mission to build communities where people thrive. Amidst all this chaos, all the negativity, all the anxiety that lives in our society today across the globe, 
we believe that our mission is needed way more than ever and that commitment to become the premier source and destination for people. When something happens, we want to be there where people can trust that this is going to be unbiased information where I can make my own opinion as opposed to leaning your opinion based on what we believe. So that's what Gannett is. Now, of course, we have a B2B side of our business. We have a SaaS business for local businesses. We have a content business, which is our bread and butter and what makes us. But underneath that, to specifically talk about subscription, our vision is that we ultimately want, we ultimately see that the world needs the plethora, plethora of relevant content that stand, still stands on those ethos of authenticity, unbiased, genuine, right there when the world and people need it. So within that umbrella, though, our content is no longer restricted to just journalism and news. Mm. There are these concentric circles. So news and journalism to us is what books for Amazon was. What we are now discovering based on insights, based on what we are learning from our customer base, where else should we go? So we invested heavily in sports and we are optimizing it. That's one of our very, very strong verticals. We are testing new product ideas. One of my favorite ones, which is not out there yet, but this is... We just brainstorming, so I'd love to pick your brain. I have two daughters, 12 and 8, and I feel that if we can become a source for education for them, not replicating education, their school education, but we have such tremendous source and plethora of content that can represent historic moments that happen mm. in the country. Communicate it in a way that is not textual. For example, when that most disappointing incident happened at Capitol Hill, our mm. content organization and editorial teams went ahead and created an VR experience. When I went through that, I could really understand terribly what had gone through. How did it happen? My eight-year-old, perhaps four years later, when consumes that content, she would have a lot more appreciation and understanding of moments in history like that. So there are no boundaries to where we can go as a content organization to feed the needs of the different segments within our audience base. The key is, are we able to do that in a way that gets ahead of when they realize they need something? And number two, can we create a business model where that challenges us to add incremental value? And I think that's the shift from advertising to subscription. Mm. An advertising business model just cares about the millions of users who come and the volume of users who come because you monetize the volume. And these are the advertisers who are paying you for their volume. And of course, the relevance. So with more science and more relevant advertising and the ability to engage you in that moment, fair. But still you're a broker. But you're still a broker. But in the direct-to-consumer subscription model, you have no choice but to be customer-obsessed and add incremental value every single time Jenny comes back. Because I know if I'm not adding that incremental value, the next time we'll Jenny drop you. Comes I'm going to lose you. So now this is the real whether it is a litmus test. And the ones who are going to be customer obsessed and will have speed are the ones who are going to win. And the others will perish because there is a subscription fatigue. Yeah. How much more content do you need? I mean, it is sometimes becomes a cluster when you have so much content, but that's where organizations that are able to leverage data and science and Netflix is a beautiful example of to drive personalization, to drive relevance, to sense what your next need, or Spotify for that matter, has done it in audio. And if you ask me, what is the aspiration? I always say we want to be the Netflix for nonfiction. Oh, that's good. That's good. It's always yeah. good to have a tagline because that's how you can sell it, right? You asked the question, you know, what are the predictions? We're, we're going off script here for a bit. When we saw your lovely daughter walk past <laughs> and Did we were discussing. <laughs> it is going to be the, the little homeless baby coming in my background. <laughs> what I thought about was how neat would it be to have a supplement for multiple generations? Like we're living longer than we ever have. And kid, I remember my goddaughter, she grew up with an iPad and the iPhone. She was two years old and I'll never forget it. We were with her parents, our best friend. This little two-year-old walks up to the television and tries to swipe it open. <laughs> and all of us looked at each other like, I cannot believe she did that. But she thinks that will open the television and she'll be able to touch things and it'll work. And to that 
point. Like I'm thinking if you are the nonfiction to Netflix, that idea, how neat would it be to supplement children's education with the James Webb thing that we spent bajillions of dollars in so many countries of investment to see the far reaches of infrared space and the beginnings of the galaxy? How awesome would it be for a child to be able to put on an Oculus and, tar- and to start to look around and see that work? That The thing is, we know, especially in American U.S., education system, it's going to take time for them to reprint all the books and think through what new material are we going to teach the next generation. But if they had access to the here and now and what will be, I think that is just as valuable as the history. And so seeing a model where parents are not putting their kids in front of Netflix, but they're putting their kids in front of something that is actually happening in the universe, that is just as entertaining but educating and expanding their minds and how they think about the world, I think that's a wonderful thing. I can certainly see that. And for there to be, instead of what I had as a kid, a highlight book where I connected the dots and I filled in the blanks and did Mad Libs because that was my education as a child. You have a different form of of that, but for the modern age and maybe even to the future. That's exciting to me. Well, I feel very confident that you're second prediction or your nth prediction this one will be very soon true as well i feel very confident about it my daughter is a hardcore roblox fanatic whether i like it or not and with so much about metaverse and we all know well whether we may all have our own opinion but Mm. unfortunately or fortunately we are going to be living and breathing in that virtual world and i feel that education is going to be one of the first five areas within that ecosystem that our kids are going to grow and whether that is looking in future or it dramatically changes the way education is imparted education is consumed with so much data i think we are looking at a revolution here jenny over the next five years this revolution ain't going to kick in it doesn't take like i said it takes it's going to be new stuff dramatic behavioral shifts in six months chunk and that definitely I very strongly believe will be one of those verticals that will consume and we'll see the application. I hope so. We need more people in STEM programs. It needs to happen, I think. So back on script, we were talking about taking this the tech experience and applying it to the, the legacy so that we can see these what where amazing institutions continue to exist in the world. I think that's really good. How are you advocating for the cross-functionality of teaming? Because that's something that's very common in tech, right? We talk about the triad, right? You work with design teams. Now you have maybe a data scientist or a data analyst in the team. You have an engineer and you have a product manager. You want to say maybe a product owner and maybe you do Scrum. But there's cross-functionalities. Now they're blending in with what's happening with product marketing. And you start to see end-to-end this value stream is what we're hearing come up. How are you adapting this way of thinking into a place like Annette? Yes, by doing just that exactly what he said and, oh wow uh, i was fortunate enough to have gone through my experience at spotify where i learned the spotify model of squads and chapters and tribes and mountains and beds now we haven't brought all of that on because okay. that would mean a lot but what we did introduce last year jenny across the organization across 16,000 people was the concept of pods which are cross-functional units that are self-sustainable they have autonomy they are very clearly defined OKRs. They have a pod leader who we feel is the best leader in the organization to run that pod. Each pod is tied to one of our five North Star priorities and they're funded and they're running 100 miles an hour that, or that's the intent. And based on what the pod is, it's cross-functionally staffed. It's a combination of some pod members who are fully staffed and 100% dedicated to the pod. There are some who are partial, like I think Consumer Insights is a function that floats. You don't need someone to run call and quant and surveys 50 hours a week. But there are some function like an analyst or a data scientist in some of the growth pods, for example, that will be fully staffed, dedicated to that function. That's what we did. And it was an evolution. We went through some bumpy roads, but then we also created another function that I learned at Spotify, which is a company strategy and ops, which is the rhythm that runs the organization, that runs, is becomes a connective tissue for decision-making, for prioritization, How do we stay true to our North Star? What do the pods need? What are we learning? What mistakes are we making? How do we apply that in the subsequent quarter? 
how do we move from annual planning to quarterly planning? So while we still do annual planning to look at what the destination is, what success looks like, but you want to live in, you live in the daily, weekly, monthly numbers, and you want to have the agility to pivot. Because oftentimes, even when I was talking about speed, or when people talk about the agile mindset, it's not about the speed on a linear straight path. That's the easiest thing anybody can do. It's a speed and the velocity of decision-making when you are making pivots. Mm. When you decided something that ain't working, it is that, how long do you take as an organization to shift gears? That's the speed that makes or breaks you. So we've still very early on in that journey, but a lot of that is in place now, humming, running. A lot of successes last year were a function of some of those hard changes we made, and we still have a lot of room to go. That's awesome. One, and this seems to happen a lot where we see what has happened perhaps in Silicon Valley, and then it just starts to invade every other industry and feels like every vertical gets, it's, it's I don't know, I just, it's amazing and I love it. Can you describe a bit more about this ops role, like the strategy ops in particular? Because that's that sounds new to me. Is that at that uh, the right hand person to you? Is this something that is embedded as like direct reports that kind of span all of the different pods? What does that fusion look like to ensure the swiftness of decision making and pivoting when they need to and prioritizing as they need and getting the funding that they need in order to engage in the projects that they think will move the needle? How does this work? Yes, yes. Look, I absolutely cannot take credit to come up with that role. We, I saw that as Spotify played a massive role. I've seen that at Google. I've seen that in Etsy. Hmm. And I'm pretty sure so many other growth companies have that very well-established role. It's, I call it the orchestration of the entire organization. And you need some of that because there's so much happening. Like I said, the only way you grow in double digits is when you create that healthy chaos, but then you need a function that can shape the chaos so that it, there's a thin line between making it unhealthy and healthy. So we are very early stage of that function. It's a very lean team. It reports into me, but not me as a CMO. It reports into me as a chief strategy officer, okay. uh, but working just as equally and deeply with every other executive leader in the organization. And last year's focus was to bootstrap this new operating model of cross-functional pods, cross-functional uh-huh. units, introduce OKRs, bringing, bubbling up the conversation, bubbling up cross-functional topics because you can't solve them in functional silos. So how do we bubble that up? And addressing what's not working in one pod, what are some of the things that we can apply horizontally across the board? Yeah. And then creating forums and platforms where the top leaders within and decision makers can come together to discuss the next six months, for instance. As of this week, we are doing a North Star Week. That team is leading that, where all the key pods, which are which ladder up to the five North Stars, they are talking to the entire organization about what they are focusing on this year, what is going to happen in Q1. So there's a North Star Week, which is a moment to share the strategy. It's a moment to learn what's happening across the board because we don't want to slow down. So this is different ways and different strategies. But this year, we're going to make slight shift where that team plays an even stronger role in now shaping the future. So last year was laying the foundation. How do we have to play? How do we imbibe this new operating model where you have a lot more autonomy than bureaucracy, which as you can imagine, can happen in a big legacy business. This year, the shift will be, okay, how do we break some of the log jams? How does this team inspire a lot more speed and velocity especially in decisions that are hard to make because there's no right answer. Right. That makes lots of sense. So would it be fair to say that they're almost like a strategy and communication accelerants? Communication is a huge part, especially at an operating level within the organization. Strategy, yes, but strategy is a very loaded word. I mean, fair I, enough. Uh, I, I don't even like it on my title, but there was a reason why we had to put it. So I took it, but I feel... I'm personally anti anything strategy because I think that minimizes the impact of execution. It minimizes the value of operability. Getting it done. Just basically, we just need to get it done. Yes. There is strategy in everything and everyone is strategic. But yes, the... I would say that a role they do play is bringing the market insight, is bringing the competitive lens to say, if we have to make a choice and we have three options and all three make sense, what data can we bring 
so that we can facilitate the decision making faster. That makes sense. If you were to replace that part of your title where it's not strategy, what would you choose instead? Two options. Either I would just say marketing, chief marketing or head of marketing, whatever, because marketing ought to have to play that role because you're the strongest on the table. You should be the strongest advocate of the customer and you should be the strongest ears to the market. That's the role of a marketeer. So it's implicit. We had a reason why we had to make it explicit, at mm. least for the show. And if it's not marketing, then I may call it growth because I think that's the purpose of marketing is to grow businesses. So it doesn't matter what you call it. You can call it head of marketing and call it head of growth, but there's no other way to assess the performance of marketing outside of growth. But that is not just the quant numerical growth. My definition of growth is three flywheels that are constantly running is growing the brand, growing your user base and growing the user value. If marketeers can play mm -hmm. their part in accelerating those, all those three flywheels, because if you just focus on retention and acquisition and not growing the brand, you're going to saturate your demand because it's through your brand, through your purpose, through your mission, through that mid funnel conversation dialogue. That's how you expand your talent. That's how you soften the ground. That's right. Basically, you're trying to attack all parts of the funnel. Makes sense. Yes. And you have a flywheel for each one. And that also makes sense. Cool. Okay. So we've talked about subscription and we've kind of touched on it. Why do you think that user retention is one of the hardest levers to solve or move? And I'm not going to ask you if you've cracked it because that's a constant. Like you have to constantly be cracking the retention problem or nut. But why do you think it's hard? And what are you trying that you're like, this is working, Jenny, it's working. Yeah. And we're <laughs> really excited. Yes, yes. Without getting too cheesy. It's life, you can have the first date, you can have the first intro, you can have the first chat with anybody relatively easily. To be able to do that fifth time, the 10th time to be in a relationship is hard. It is hard. Yeah. Just think about marriage. I I'll be honest. Yes. I, it was, I'm 20 years in and I'm like, yes. this is hard even now. Hard, right? <laughs> Why is that? Because you have to keep working. You, you can't just work stop. You can't just stop. And it doesn't yeah. take one thing. No. It just doesn't take one variable, right? Nope. No, nope. um, it's multivariate, <laughs> multivariate equation. And one more thing. It's so funny because this is so true. I'm just thinking aloud here. The variables keep changing. It's the fickleness. You're just like, but yesterday it was this. And today yes. it's this. And there's no problem with it. It's fine. It's just you got to adapt. You got to inspect and adapt. And it is exactly that. That, right. okay, you can buy your way to the first interaction. You can buy your way to your first purchase. You can buy right. your way. Unfortunately, in our business world, that's the power of paid media. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to build FOMO. I'm going to give you so much discount. I have levers that I can bring you in one way or the other. Okay. But you can't buy love. You can't buy the relationship. All the more so now compared to 20 years back where, mm -hmm. look, my, my physician was the same physician my grandfather went to because that physician's son is now taken over that clinic. I mean, I, the way I grew up in India, because we didn't have a choice. We just went to the corner clinic. Anything happened, you went there. That's what and you do. That's what you did. And they never renovated the place. They didn't care because they knew. It didn't matter. Oh, it yeah. didn't matter. It didn't and matter. We didn't have a choice. But now consumers have infinite choice. Yes. They have access. They have discoverability, which means that there is no such thing as loyalty in a good way. Now, some verticals like airlines have hostages because you just have your mind. So you're stuck, but you're not necessarily loyal to them. You right. have to be. So you're more of a hostage situation. But, <laughs> oh, gosh. But, you're right, but, though. Most, it is true, right? It's it true. Is true. Like Marriott. My friend was like, I have Marriott points, Jenny, and I don't know what to do. And I'll probably just keep going there. Or your cable television. Right. How many people love truly love if you're still wire cord and you haven't cut it off, you are stuck because, hey, somewhere there in fine print, there was a, something that said you cannot disconnect before two years. Otherwise, you have to pay the entire amount. Exactly. So the bottom line is loyalty and retention is hard, first and foremost, because the consumers just has infinite choice access and there's no barrier to move away. Yeah, but transition where, costs are very low. You're absolutely right. right. Yeah. Unless, unless you as a brand have built moats and those moats are emotional moat, value moat, data moat. 
So mm. you're not going to lose LinkedIn. Of course, I love, I'm, I'm a great fan of what the platform has done. But even if I want, I'm not going to just go away because I have all my network, my data, my history there. Netflix, you're not going to lose your, you can move, you can have the same content elsewhere, but you will not have that intelligence, your behavior that you accumulated, that the platforms accumulated for you, because they take that to add incremental value every single day when you open up the platform. That's right. And the reason why making that real is hard, because everything we just said about LinkedIn or Netflix or another experience, that execution doesn't happen in any single function in an organization in isolation. Product oh no, if you do, you feel it, right? You, you feel, feel the silos. You're like, you wow. <laughs> it, you guys, you must not be talking to your retail leader. Right. This because this is really janky. Yep. Story, right? yep. So that's the reality and that's why it's hard. And the hardest part, Chenny, is not, if you and I are talking about it, you can imagine every single person in those rooms right now is talking about it. It's not, hey, we've solved mystery here. Sure. The challenges, the operating shared accountability, going back to the last question on how do you build that culture where you're breaking down the traditional silos of product engineering, marketing data, and really working together to be customer obsessed in your execution. We are customer obsessed in our desires and plans. How do organizations become customer obsessed in their execution every single day? Because that's what the consumer will see. That's what they will see because your experiences are a reflection of how you're organized and how you operate. And then you'll have these wonderful moments where you get all of that going and you made a mistake because you're going super fast. And then on Twitter, someone is eviscerating you. They also have that as an option as well. Is the opinions that you can garner are not on a consumer reports, the G2, they could find them there, right? The app store, you could look at the reviews, but now it's everywhere. Somebody could be talking about whatever you had done. It's heartbreaking almost. Sometimes it, I wish we could do, what was it recently? Instagram was like, we're just gonna just do away with all of the thumbs down. That is not even a thing for us anymore. It's only <laughs> thumbs up. Maybe that's YouTube because just you can get it. You hear it, and that also yeah. is a reflection, as one, as you mentioned, is of the brand and awareness and what people perceive and what people will say, because they will. They will inevitably do it. But see, that exact scenario, though, is what highlights the value of a brand that's loved. True. No matter what you do, no matter how great you are as a business, as a company, you're bound to make mistakes because you're all these are run by humans, right? And then you'll and have a customer who will defend you. That's you when you start to scale that brand scales. No matter what anybody says, a lot of people are like, what, who, why should we invest in brand? Let's just do demand gen all day long because we know we'll get leads out of that. And I'm like, you won't have anyone defend you outside of your team. And that doesn't look good ever. Yes. Everyone looks yes. at you like, really? You're going to yes. defend yourself. Nice. Yes. Not yes. Good. Because scale growth yeah, you're still, right. still is about that serendipity and that irrationality that can never go away. Everything outside of that can take you this far, but scale growth, that escape velocity needs that, the intangibility of a great brand and you cannot ignore that. No, I, yeah, I'm with you. So we're gonna go into that. Then how do these organizations reach, as you put it, found a quote, the magical state for any business when the Brown Foundation becomes the most critical framework to influence the product roadmap. You said that once. I don't know if you know that, but you did. And I was, <laughs> I was like, like I, was remembering. I was like, how do you get to this magical state? What do you do to get to the magical state? How do you yeah. connect Brown Brand Foundation and product roadmap? Because in my mind, I was like, I tangentially get it, but I wanted to hear from the source. Cool. Yes, yes. You know how it's... How you do that at a tactical level and at a more philosophical level. Um, at a philosophical level, look, ultimately, your brand is a reflection of who you are and why you exist. And the product you build, that will fulfill the promise. That's your mm -hmm. brand, right? Yeah. The brand is Did you do what you said you were going to do? You were going to do, correct? Mm -hmm. That's your brand. And on the flip side, the brand foundation that summarizes that is a macro ultimate platform that is your commitment for the longer term which That's means right. that if you're creating a product roadmap and feature sets and acquisitions and big leaps they have to ladder back to this 
Fair. It's very simple. It's I think that's fair. So what right. we're saying is, folks out there, if you have a product management team and they're not connecting with marketing, it's basically like saying, hey, everybody, this is why we exist. And the product team has no idea that's what you said. But also the flip. But the flip it's is true. also it's true. Which is, it's the true. brand team. If the brand team is saying, I'm going to go do this AKA redesign sure. and I'm going to come up with this brand foundation. This is who we are and does not include at the center, not right. the seat, at the center of that journey on day zero, not day one, the product organization, the engineering organization and others who are building product that is going to fulfill the promise and the promise that ladders up to the purpose, it falters right there, which means that marketing and brand teams within marketing are not the owners of the brand. Mm. They are the mere orchestrators of the brand. Mm. They are the facilitators of the process to identify what that foundation is. It just happens to be called the brand. That's why I have this diagram where I say brand is not brand marketing. Ooh, brand, I want to see this diagram. I will forward it to you. It's one and of my we'll favorite. And then both share it. Good. Because it's on LinkedIn. I believe. Yes. Let's deep dive. I cut you off there rudely, but... No, it's no, it is brand um, and brand. Yes. Brand Talk is an that. outcome, right? Mm. That outcome just happens to have a taxonomy that matches the name of a team that is called brand something. True. That is the only reality. But a product owns a brand just as much as a brand marketing team does. The call center rep owns the brand just as much as the brand marketing team does or even more because brand marketing perhaps ain't talking to the customer those many times and that frequently as a customer call center rep, right? Oh yeah. And a beautiful example of this is without naming the brand is we all know what one single cab ride for a digitally native brand can do. Oh yes. That's the power of every touch point and every individual outside of just one brand marketing team. And that is the power and the components that form that outcome called the brand. So speaking of, your advocacy for cross-functionality. And you had mentioned, we need to be thinking about who is orchestrating versus who is owning. How do you ensure, with it not getting too complicated, that your organization, and maybe even Gannett all, all up, but let's say your organization understands that distinction. Like you had mentioned these pods that are aligned to what I would call a constellation of metrics rather than a North Star, because there's multiple, but that's fine. Sure. That is sure. that semantics. So they have this understanding and they're supposed to somehow come together. How does that bubbling up look like where they have that shared ownership? Because this is what can happen, right? In an organization, you get so tethered to your North Star and your yes. OKRs that when someone says, we need your help because this needs to happen and they'll use it instead of creating this network of commitments, they create it as a wall because it's a license that they now have to say, I ain't going to do that because that's not my priority. That's not going to help advance my team or what we've right. got to do. How right. do you balance it so that you get that understanding, like you said, where we are all orchestrators for the customer to have this amazing experience so they will come back? How yes. do you get that right? Because that's yeah. a challenge yeah. for every OKR, I think, yes. leader yes. or manager. Yeah, fantastic question. And I know we are running out of time, so I'm going to be short. I think three very critical aspects to solving that journey. It's a great question because that is so true in grand reality. That is where the strategy and ops as a function or whatever anybody may call a function that ladders up these KPIs that ultimately ladder up. So there's a hierarchy, like you said, the constellation. Ultimately, when you open it up, there's a hierarchy. Let's take the example of retention. Your topmost goal could be, I want to take my mile from X percent to Y percent. I want right. to take my 52-week retention from X percent to Y percent. But there are a lot of underneath buckets of leading KPIs that are owned by different paws that need to move the needle. So you've got to have, one, you've got to have a, a, a process to show how these things stack up. And it's almost like a hierarchy of OKRs. You basically have created a bunch of eco economists. This is a function of all of these other things. This is a function. Yes. So what we've done, for example, a couple of tools. One, we are literally in the process of adopting, and don't ask me the name yet, we are finalizing literally as we speak this week. Sure. We are, but I'll come back to you on that because this is 
thesis of what you talk about so often is OKR. So we are adopting an OKR tool that gives us that hierarchy. So if I'm an engineer writing and working on a pod, it shows me how does that ladder up all the way to the top Nostar KPI for the company, external facing, but also all the stops in between. Two, we now have an operating scorecard where on a weekly basis, we are going to have a short list of KPIs, which are no longer the lagging indicators. They're it meeting. is no longer just the revenue and the subscriber volume or the page views, but these are the leading indicators mm -hmm. that signify the progress we are making in business area. There's a progress we are making in the horizontals like product performance, brand performance, data performance. So I think the answer is, it's not simple. It is conversation. It is understanding your data. It is understanding leading and lagging KPIs and having a rhythm to expose what is most crucial and, and operating model. That makes sense. Model. You yes. need the operating model. We have one minute. What is Meyer Gupta's dream with a deadline? Or not? No deadline, just a dream. Wow. Is it business or philosophical? Life or business? As this is that's the name of my podcast, Dreams yeah. with Deadlines, as you wish. No matter what I'm doing and which vertical, what type of work, etc. I just challenge myself to be able to enjoy the journey and just have tremendous gratitude for the failures and successes in in life, at work, etc. So I practice Buddhism. I'm a Buddhist. And we call that the state of absolute happiness and not relative happiness. So mm -hmm. my dream is figure out a way which we call human revolution. So it ain't easy. But if I can get to a state of absolute happiness where these macro shifts in our lives every single day or micro shifts do not influence my state of life. Ooh. That's my ultimate dream because then it will not matter if I miss a KPI. I'm just going to be fighting hard at beating it, but it will not impact my state of life. I love it. Thank you so much for being on the show, Mayor. This has been amazing. Thank you so much, Jenny. And I look forward to reconnecting in the future. Absolutely. That's it for this episode of Dreams with Deadlines. Thanks for listening. If you liked today's episode, please subscribe and share. Show notes can be found on gtmhub.com radio. If you want to learn more about our product and services, head out to gtmhub.com. If you have questions that you'd like answered on the show, shoot us an email at radio at gtmhub.com. Tune in next time.